This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, August 1st, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All proposal might cost as much as 32 trillion new dollars over 10 years. That would translate to a doubling of federal income tax revenue. That's according to a score by Charles Blahaus of the Mercatus Center. We chatted with Cato's Michael Cannon about the hoped for versus likely costs of Medicare for All and the problems that continue to plague Medicare for some. Charles, to begin, you estimate that uh, expanding Medicare, the the program for uh, older Americans, to cover all Americans, that it would cost something over $30 trillion over the next 10 years and would require a federal spending increase of, what, 50, 60, 70 percent? Well, all right, I'll try to encapsulate the various numbers, uh, but but for, thanks for the plug for the study. Uh, but the, the top line estimate was a a uh, increase in federal spending of thirty two point six trillion over the, over the first full uh, ten full years of implementation. Um, for perspective, I mean that's a very big number, difficult for people to wrap their minds around. So one uh, tidbit I put in the paper was that even if you were to double all currently projected federal individual income and corporate income tax collections, that would not be enough to finance the added costs of this uh, proposal. And again, this is not that's not the that's not the total cost. That's the cost over and above what the federal government is already paying on health care. Uh, so that's the delta. Uh, but important caveats should be attached even to that number. Um, basically, in the course of doing this study, I, I was basically scoring the sponsor's uh, intent or or fondest hopes, basically. And so I was assuming uh, the things that the legislation was intended to do, including uh, very substantial reductions in administrative costs, very substantial reductions in drug prices, and most significantly, uh, reductions in provider payments of about 40% relative to what is being paid in private health insurance. Uh, and uh, we don't know whether all those things would come to pass, um, but I, I quite deliberately uh, scored the bill according to what the sponsors were intending to have happen and still wound up with the estimate of, of close to $33 trillion over 10 years. If you do not assume that we cut provider payments by about 40%, that estimate goes up to about $38 trillion over 10 years. So uh, I would treat that as, as a lower bound best case scenario estimate. Uh, and as you said, it would be um, you know, a, a qualitative transformative expansion in the size and scope of the federal government. All right. So if I read this uh, Jacobin magazine piece from uh, today or yesterday, the headline is even libertarians admit Medicare for all would save trillions. But that is based on the idea of taking uh, Senator Sanders um, hopes for the program as he set it up and pretty much everything going according to the plan that he lays out. Yeah. And, and I should begin by saying I'm actually very pleased by the nature of the responses to the study. I mean, when you put out a study, you never know quite what is going to happen. Uh, and uh, sometimes you have a situation where some people are saying this is a great study and other people are saying it's junk and a bunch of garbage. Uh, and I'm in a very uh, pleasant situation now where I have people on on different sides of this uh, using numbers from the study to, to make their policy case. And I'm delighted by that and pleased by it. Um, having said that, I, I think the... Um, you know, the argument of proponents with respect to trillions in supposed savings, uh, it's a bit of a stretch. First of all, uh, you can't treat it as inconsequential that federal government would expand on the order of 30 plus trillion dollars. So even if you had 
uh, very little qualitative change in national health expenditures. You, you can't really treat that as a budgetary non-event. Um, and, and so I think it's, it's a hard sell to say, hey, no harm, no foul. The government's going to expand by 30 plus trillion dollars, but overall national health expenditures aren't changing that much. Um, and secondly, uh, it needs to be said that uh, $2 trillion sounds like a lot of money, but compared to the aggregate amount of national health expenditures over 10 years, it's, it's very, very little. We're, we're talking changes of you know, 2 to 4% over 10 years in either direction uh, in national health expenditures. And there is a, a, a top-line projection in the study that would have national health expenditures going down. But it is predicated on several things, including those 40% provider payment cuts. Now, obviously, if you cut payments to providers by 40%, spending is going to go down. Uh, we don't know what else would happen. Uh, there might be uh, access issues and quality issues and all sorts of things that, that might happen. Uh, we don't even know whether that's plausible. This is, this is not 40% gradually over time a la some of the changes in the Affordable Care Act. This is 40% immediately in the very first year. Uh, whether that's plausible, I don't know. If, if you don't assume that, um, then instead you see a, a marked increase not only in federal expenditures but also in national health expenditures and the total cost of the proposal would go up to uh, 38 trillion. Uh, to the extent that proponents are arguing that the, the magic administrative efficiencies of, uh, of government uh, would replace the you know, terrible inefficient profiteering of the private sector and that that would uh, save money. I don't think that's a fair characterization of what the study says. Um, I, I assumed very substantial administrative cost savings. Uh, those are overwhelmed several times over by the additional utilization, the additional services, the additional costs in the proposal. The only thing that drives um, a, a projection of a slight reduction in health expenditures is those 40% payment cuts. So it's simply not correct to say that administrative efficiencies could even come close to paying for this. All right, uh, Michael Cannon, to you, I had heard that the Affordable Care Act cut Medicare provider payments. How did that turn out? Well, that's the best part of the Affordable Care Act is that it did restrain the growth of Medicare provider payments. And it's interesting that uh, you had people like Ezra Klein and Jonathan Shade, who are proponents of the Affordable Care Act at the time, say it is so hard to cut Medicare provider payments, even when we know that those payments are excessive, that the only way Congress was able to do it was by simultaneously creating two new entitlement programs so uh, at the same time as the cuts so that the providers would not be upset and block that measure in Congress. Those two new entitlement programs are, of course, the uh, subsidies for so-called private insurance and the Obamacare exchanges and the expansion of the Medicaid program. And this really gets to the heart of Senator Sanders' claim that the that it's plausible that Congress would cut provider payments by 40 percent. That is just not going to happen. At the same time, advocates of Medicare for all say, oh, well, we'll save all this money by cutting provider payments. This is the amount that the government pays healthcare providers uh, for treating people in the Medicare program. Uh, we'll save all this money by cutting uh, provider payments by 40 percent. They're also complaining th that they cannot cut payments to Medicare Advantage plans. These are the private health insurance companies that provide benefits to about a third, quarter to a third of Medicare enrollees. They're, at the same time, they're complaining that uh, Congress is terrible at cutting payments to pharmaceutical companies. So these claims that a Medicare for all program uh, will save Americans money on health care, they just don't wash 
If you look at the experience, if you look at Congress's record at trying to restrain the prices that it pays to healthcare providers in the, in the Medicare program, it's a terrible record. One of the things you note, Charles, in uh, your report is the uh, in your score of the Sanders plan is the reduction in administrative costs. Um, you know, it, it, the overcharged book that's just come out uh, from the Cato Institute makes a, a, a pretty interesting point about administrative costs, which is if you're including in the denominator lots of things that probably shouldn't be in the denominator, like fraud, those administrative costs are a lot higher. Yeah, I think there are three points I'd want to make about administrative costs. I, I assumed, uh, and I think uh, very generously assumed, very substantial administrative cost savings under the proposal. Uh, again, because I wanted to be sure that I was scoring uh, the sponsor's intent, and um, and that my own uh, skepticism about uh, the budgetary realism of this. Uh, you know, not be interpreted as uh, as affecting uh, the numerical assumptions at all. So I I scored it from the vantage point of of, of how the sponsors would be likely to to think about it. And um, but I'd make three points about administrative costs. One is Medicare administrative costs are um, expressed often as rates of uh, overall costs, and you have to remember that Medicare uh, per capita. Uh, claims are much higher, much higher than they are, say, with private health insurance, simply because uh, you have an older population and they have more expensive health care. So, you express administrative costs uh, as a percentage of what people are, or what is being spent on participants per capita. Of course, Medicare's are going to look low, um, and so um, they're actually not. Um, you know, it, you get a very misleading picture if you talk about. Uh, uh, per capita dollar amount administrative costs versus administrative cost rates. Um, so you have to correct for that a little bit in terms of um, uh, crediting the government with, with a whole lot of administrative efficiencies. Second point is that um, you know, insurance administration involves a number of things, including policing fraud, et cetera. And uh, the private sector has to police a certain amount of fraud simply because they want to provide value to their customers. They want to stay in business. They want to be competitive. They don't want to go bankrupt. Uh, and these are concerns. Not not that government doesn't care about those things. Obviously, government cares about. They don't want to have political embarrassments from fraud, and 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 uh, you know there are reasons why government tries to police fraud as well. But government doesn't generally have to be concerned about going out of business or going bankrupt. Uh, and so, as a consequence, you don't have. Um, quite the same level of success in government with respect to policing fraud and Medicare and Medicaid that you might have in the private sector. So if you're going to ratchet down the administrative costs of a system like this, uh, you're going to have more fraudulent payments as a result. And we, and we see that in Medicaid and, and to an extent in Medicare as well. And the third and final point I'd make is that um, there are other ways that costs will creep into the Medicare for all proposal simply because of the policy and political dynamics behind it. So for example, if, if you look at the text of the Sanders bill, there is a line item creating a program to provide uh, support and training and other uh, you know, assistance to workers who might be displaced as a result of uh, enacting Medicare for all. 
And um, so to the extent that you would have administrative cost savings, you also have political dynamics in place that the government is going to try to appease certain constituencies and provide money to them uh, if there are administrative cost savings. Um, and so that program uh, lasts for the first five years uh, under the Sanders bill. But where that program came from, we'd probably see others. Uh, and so whatever savings there were on the administrative cost side, a lot of that would go right back out the door in terms of other uh, uh, payments to, uh, uh, to uh, favored constituencies. All right, Michael Cannon, what do we know about how well Medicare provides care to those uh, 65 and older? Well, so there's a lot of uh, quality problems in the U.S. healthcare sector. I'm glad you brought up the new book that we've published called Overcharged, Why Americans Pay Too Much for Healthcare. It's by two Cato adjunct scholars, Charlie Silver, a professor of law at UT Austin, and David Hyman, a professor of law and a physician uh, who's at uh, Georgetown University Law Center. And uh, they look not only at all the ways we overpay for uh, health care in the United States, but they also examine the quality of care and why the quality of care is so much worse than it would be in a competitive market system. In a competitive market system, you would have pressure, you would be putting pressure on providers to identify and to root out wasteful healthcare uh, expenditures, uh, services that aren't benefiting the patient and may even be exposing the patient to harm. You would uh, – a competitive uh, market system would put pressure on providers to, uh, to reduce medical errors. Uh, these are iatrogenic errors, things that uh, – harms that are caused by the uh, providers or the, or, or the products themselves. And uh, – Instead of that, we have a Medicare system that has largely eliminated competition uh, in uh, uh, in healthcare provision, and as a result, we have and and it, to give you an example, a market system would punish healthcare providers if they let people die due to medical medical errors, and we can talk about how it would do that. But the Medicare system doesn't do that. The Medicare system, first of all, just lets healthcare providers uh, keep on doing what they're doing. It just pays claims without uh, examining them. That's why there's so much fraud because Medicare does one thing very well, which is shovel money out the door, but it is uh, absolutely terrible at monitoring the quality of care that seniors are receiving. And it's actually even worse than that because if a provider harms, uh, if, a uh, if, a, if a medical error occurs, the responsible provider uh, doesn't get penalized by Medicare. They get rewarded by Medicare because they get paid not only for the initial care that harmed the patient, they get paid again to make that patient whole again. Uh, and if and and here's the real kicker: it's not uh, the problem is not that providers you know are following this financial incentive and going out and deliberately harming patients. What happens is. If a healthcare provider tries to reduce medical errors and invests in the research and rolling out a strategy to reduce hospital-acquired infections, to reduce falls, to uh, uh, reduce medication errors and so forth, Medicare penalizes them. They're first out that initial investment in implementing those, those safety protocols, but then they actually get less money from Medicare rather than more because they're not uh, – billing for more services. So we have the largest payer of purchaser of health care services in the world who, that and it literally penalizes health care providers for trying to improve the quality of care. And I don't think uh, it's a coincidence that uh, 
Estimates suggest that up to 400,000 Americans die every year due to preventable medical errors. Not only are those deaths tragic, uh, they are, and not only were they caused by medical interventions, but they were preventable. And it is, and the Medicare program makes it so much more difficult to eliminate those uh, those. Uh, uh, deaths due to medical error and other uh, non-fatal injuries due to medical error because it penalizes healthcare providers who try to do the right thing, who try to improve the quality of care. So as much as a, uh, of a problem as the cost of a Medicare for all program would be, the real problem, I think, is that the quality of care would, uh, 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 would continue to suffer and maybe even get worse uh, if you uh, take the Medicare program and its perverse incentives, and you apply those to the entire population. In one sense, I think that moving from Medicare, from what we have right now, Medicare for some to Medicare for all, would reduce administrative costs. I think I agree with uh, with Chuck's study about this. The uh, so-called private healthcare health insurance market in the United States is incredibly inefficient, but it's incredibly inefficient because of government. The federal government encourages people to consume more health insurance than they would. Uh, if there were no uh, distortions of those decisions created by the tax code and the, mostly the uh, the tax preference for employer-sponsored insurance. And when you encourage people to buy more insurance, there's going to be more administrative cost there. And uh, especially when uh, uh, people are hopping around from insurance company to insurance company and so forth. So uh, if you move to a Medicare for all system, a lot of those administrative costs would go away. And so I think that's correct. I'm not sure that administrative costs would go down overall. And, uh, and, and here's why. There's an administrative cost associated with tax-financed healthcare that, doesn't, that just doesn't exist when you're talking about healthcare that's financed privately. And that is what we call the deadweight loss of taxation or the excess burden of taxation. This is the idea that uh, whenever you tax something, you get less of it. So if you take a dollar out of the private – if the government taxes a dollar out of the private sector, uh, it, does, it doesn't just cost a dollar. If you, It costs maybe a dollar and 20 cents and in some cases maybe – $2 because what you're doing is you're discouraging economic activity, whatever economic activity you're taxing. And if you're taxing incomes, you're discouraging people from uh, working and producing and earning. And so you get less production. And on average, I think the consensus estimate is that on average, taxing $1 of from the economy actually costs uh, uh, $1.20. The d additional 20 cents is 20 cents of additional economic productivity foregone. Uh, but at the margin, which is really where we should be making these calculations, it can cost up to another dollar or it can suppress a dollar's worth of ec economic productivity or economic activity. That's an administrative cost. It doesn't exist when you're talking about private health insurance. So if you move everyone into a Medicare for all system. If you have everyone pay the additional taxes that are necessary uh, to finance that system, there's going to be this huge administrative cost that didn't exist before for a lot of that spending. Uh, not that spending the government's already doing that cost is already here, but for a lot of that spending, that's a new administrative cost that totally sw by itself swamps the administrative costs that you see in the private health insurance sector. And as uh, uh, as Chuck mentioned, as uh, David Hyman and Charlie Silver discuss in Overcharged, 
it's so hard to have this discussion about administrative costs because the uh, Medicare for all crowd and their critics don't even speak the same language. The Medicare for all crowd uh, say that Medicare's administrative costs are just 3% of total spending, but uh, that's not a measure of efficiency. That's a measure of inefficiency because that 3% figure goes down if there's more waste and fraud in Medicare because the waste and fraud goes into the denominator while the numerator stays the same. So if you if we took Medicare spending and doubled it, we just paid every healthcare provider twice as much for whatever it is that they are providing, Medicare spending would double. It would be The Medicare program would become far less efficient. But according to this 3% measure that they like to use, uh, that 3% would actually go down to 1.5% and everyone would hail Medicare or at least the Medicare for all crowd would hail Medicare as becoming more efficient when in fact it had become less efficient. This is one of those arguments where if you hear people make it, if you hear people make this uh, uh, argument that Medicare's administrative costs are just, uh, uh, is efficient because its administrative costs are just 3% of total spending, you can probably safely ignore everything else that they have to say because they're just not being careful about this. Charles Blahaus is a senior research strategist at the Mercatus Center. Michael Cannon directs health policy studies at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 